As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Welcome to this replay of Ask N.T. Write Anything, where we go back into the archives to bring you the best of the thought and theology of Tom Wright, answering questions submitted by you, the listener. You can find more episodes as well as many more resources for exploring faith at premierunbelievable.com, and registering there will unlock access through the newsletter to updates, free bonus videos and ebooks. That's premierunbelievable.com. And now for today's replay of Ask N.T. Wright Anything. We're going to be looking at things of a more pastoral nature, and I'm surprised in a way, Tom, at how many questions that come in that are pastoral, Mm. essentially. And it's probably important, as we have said before, to say anything that you deal with that's pastoral, obviously you would rather people primarily seek a pastor they can speak to, pray with, go on that journey with. Yes, that, that, that is really important. I mean, I get emails from people saying, help, help, I'm in this situation, mm. etc. And my first thing is always, um, I cannot be your pastor online. It's mm-hmm. just not how yeah. pastoral work works. You need to be able to sit down in a quiet room with somebody who can pray with you, who can weep with you if you're weeping, um, and who can engage in a longer journey. Because though I like to solve things when they come through my door, Almost all pastoral problems, if they're serious enough to come through the door of the study, are not going to be solved in one visit. This is going to be a journey. We're going to have to go together. And obviously, I can't do that. So with that caveat. (laughs) We will try to give some general principles. Um, Mm. Now, next week's will be a whole variety of um, pastoral questions. But today it's marriage. Um, But before we get to the sort of the nuts and bolts of of how we make marriage work um, as Christians, um, a couple of people asked similar questions about marriage in the age to come um so clayton in melbourne australia and jenny in virginia they ask these questions um with what i can only understand the bible implies that as a married couple we are to become as one yet there seems to be verses that imply this is only for this earth and what's your opinion and jenny says i know we won't be married in heaven But will I still remember my husband and will we still be good friends like we are? Or maybe I should have just asked whether we'll know our family and friends. So there's sort of both questions, I think, are keying on the idea of what what will that age to come be like? They use the word heaven. I know that you Hmm. maybe prefer to use a different word Um, and we'll get to that. But, But I think the idea being people people thinking, well, will I still be? in some sense related to that person in the life to come or, or will that somehow have evaporated and, and of course. what will that look like? Of course. And I mean, one of the fascinating things about the New Testament, unlike some religious books, ancient and modern, is its refusal to speculate beyond a very, very tiny distance into what the age to come will actually be like. And 
Jesus is quite clear that it will involve resurrection. Mm-hmm. And, and in his debate with the Sadducees, that, that is very clear. And indeed, the Sadducees are pushing him on this kind of thing. They're trying to kind of catch him out. Well, catch, but, yeah. but, but on, on this question of supposing we have this woman who marries one brother, then another, then another, and then finally she dies too, whose wife is she going to be? And Jesus says that that's missing the point. Mm. And the point that Jesus is making there is not, by the way, about going to heaven. It's not just a different language, it's a different mm. concept. That Can I just do a riff on this go for a on second? Then. Go, go for um, it. <laughs> in the 16th century, the reformers were faced with the doctrine of purgatory, which had taken over the Western medieval church. And in order to combat that, they said, no, you don't have purgatory. If you're a Christian, you go straight to heaven, because that was the choice, either straight to heaven or via purgatory. Mm. And they ignored, and I don't think that's too strong a word, and I think Karl Barth and others would agree with me on this, the reformers ignored the teaching about new heavens and new earth and a bodily resurrection into that new heavens and new earth after a time of being at rest. The rest is called paradise, call it heaven if you like, though the New Testament doesn't use the word heaven for that. Mm. But it'll be heaven and earth joined together. Otherwise, we collapse into a form of Platonism. Okay, end of riff, but it's really important. <laughs> okay. So what Jesus is saying is that in the new age, we will no longer be mortal. We will no longer die. There will be no no, no more death and therefore no need for reproduction mm-hmm. and therefore no need for ordinary marriage as we know it, which has procreation as one of its normal Mm. um, primary goals. Obviously, there are many marriages where you don't have children, and that's okay too, Mm. um, which is another question that people do often ask, has Mm. something gone wrong with me Mm. because Mm. dot, dot, dot. And it's very clear in Genesis 2, the man leaves his father and mother, cleaves to his wife, and they are one flesh, and there's nothing about as long as they have children. that They are who they are. That's Mm. really rather important. Um, But normally... This is part of the way in which under God, or the normal means by which God renews the the human population. Um, That won't be necessary in the age to come. And therefore, and this goes back to the early fathers, speculation about whether there will be any equivalent of what we currently know as sexual relations, or whether that will be something which, um, because it won't be necessary and required, we won't actually want it or delight in it in the way we now do, etc., etc. That speculation, we're not told definitely about that. Then we go to the question of the people that we've loved and lost, will we know them again? And there what Paul says in First Thessalonians 4 is really important because he is giving a word of comfort and he says that ultimately we will all be together. Now, people have got hung up about that passage because it's the famous rapture passage. Yeah. And actually, that's a misreading of that text. And it's much more important to say that Paul's point is God is looking after those who have died, our loved ones who've gone before us, and they and we will be together in God's new age. And there's no question of, oh dear, will we know them, will we recognize them? It's, uh, it's assumed that it will be a glorious mutual welcome and recognition, but of a sort which and in a mode which we at present can only distantly imagine. And this is where I go back to the whole question of music, that it seems to me one of the things that music does is to open up the possibility of imagining of other worlds Mm. where 
different things happen and mm. different possibilities are there. We need all those imaginative resources. Not that we can then draw an exact picture of what it's going to be like, mm. but that we can be assured that God, having made us and loved us and redeemed us in Christ and indwelt us by the Holy Spirit, is not going to forget us, is not going to regard the love which we have presently shared as, oh, that's just a temporary blip and you're all going to be anonymous from now on. Far from it. We're going to be more vividly ourselves than we've ever been before. And and I I understand the sentiment that, that, for instance, Jenny has about will I still remember my husband? Will we still be friends? There's a sense in which this is so important to me here and now in my life. Of course. Why wouldn't it be important to me then? Of course. But you're saying in some sense that 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 will be both fulfilled and transcended. Yeah. um, C.S. Lewis says, I think it's in The Great Divorce or one of those or possibly Screwtape Letters, um, that, that the loves that we will retain are the loves that have been subject to... Uh, the cross and resurrection in the present life. In other words, if we tried to cling yes. on to something and idolize it, mm. then that may that grip may have to be yeah. broken. But a good, healthy, outgoing, normal yeah. human love um, is a is a God given gift, mm. and God doesn't mm. give gifts like that in order to snatch them away. And it's been helpful for me when I've been thinking through this, um, because obviously some people do get married and others don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Paul, as far as we're aware, was never married. Jesus yeah. was never married, um, but were fully, you know, yeah. human and uh, loved by God. Um, but the, ultimately, the greatest marriage is going to be that final one, of the course. picture of which of we course. have as the marriage supper of the Lamb. That there's, and for me, I've always felt like all of these things that we experience in this life, to use another Lewis uh, metaphor, are, are shadows yes. compared to yes. that yes. ultimate marriage, that ultimate thing that. We, within which we'll see all of these yes. relationships yes. As, as having had their... Yes, yes, I, I'm, I'm sure that's right. I mean, the, the, the danger of the shadows metaphor is that can take, take you back <laughs> sure. to Plato again. Yes. But, um, but yes, exactly. And there are deep and rich friendships as well, um, sometimes which seem to be friendships which are um, on a different plane entirely from marriage and, and sometimes very vivid. And I don't, I don't mean sort of quasi-erotic um, uh, alternative friendships, just just rich friendships mm. of a sort which our Western world has largely forgotten, actually, but which can be very close and very meaningful. And again, it seems to me that bond of love is a gift of God, which isn't going to be just, oh, that was just playing around, yeah. we're not going to do that anymore. Well, let's move from the age to come yeah. to the age we, <laughs> we currently inhabit and the complexities that obviously exist when it comes to relationships, marriage and so on. Um, Here's just some practical advice being asked for by Joshua in Rochester, Texas, says, thank you for the wonderful teachings and writings. They've been incredibly helpful to me in my ministry here in rural Texas. I pastor a small Baptist church and I'm getting married in June. Well, well, congratulations, because that date has obviously passed already. So um, but you say I've lived alone. Um, uh, What advice, firstly, would you give to a man, particular pastor who's getting married in his 30s? I've lived alone for several years and I'm looking forward to building a marriage on the foundation of Jesus. What do you believe the best way is to do this? Um, and he says, I can also throw in some advice too along the way. But let's <laughs> let's go to the one who has far far well, more years of experience. It, it is it is a huge challenge and responsibility, and it's of course both glorious and utterly demanding. And yeah, Maggie and I have been married for forty eight years. Um, she sometimes wonders what she did wrong to deserve all that. But <laughs> that's that's I think a lot of pastors' wives particularly would resonate with that. And I think one of the things that we have learned and that many friends that we've got have learned in different ways is that whatever you think it's going to be like, actually it's going to be both more glorious and and much harder. And I think particularly in the world of the early 21st century, 
there are so many cultural expectations which are still slotting around but which have all been questioned and challenged and as we grow and as we change and as we get to know one another and discover that this person who you love very deeply at one level is actually a more mysterious and sometimes rather strange and off-putting character that <laughs> hadn't realized that but because of course whenever you're close to anyone in a close friendship or even within a family brothers and mm. sisters the more you get to know them the more you realize i didn't know that he thought like that yes. i didn't expect her to say that and and the most mysterious people that we know are the ones we know best yes, as it were yes, and, and which right. is a wonderful thing mm, mm. um but also scary and that demands humility mm. and it demands a willingness to say i thought life was meant to be like this clearly you think it's meant to be like that now can we negotiate that is there room for that negotiation how do we do that and how do we address things and and those are things to be learned and that's why i would always advise couples if it's at all feasible to have like you'd regularly go to the doctor or the dentist for a checkup to to, to go every so often for a checkup to a wise friendly experienced pastor just to say this is where we are mm -hmm. we're, we're not at death's door we're not going to the divorce courts but we really want to make sure yeah. we're actually listening to each other and and, and mm -hmm. so on and that is that is demanding mm. um particularly because the other partner may suddenly blurt out something and you think i didn't realize you were feeling that all that time yeah. and and having the resilience to to handle that is yeah. really important but that learning that resilience is important for later on down the track when difficult and bad things happen when you have a sick child or when um something goes wrong financially or whatever it is you need to build that trust and and then to realize as well that the way we pray together now and an engaged christian couple i would assume are at least starting to pray together um that may not be the way that we both develop and our sleep patterns may be different and we may need mm. to have some separate times of prayer and that doesn't mean we're ignoring each other but and especially for a pastor to figure out what church going is to be like mm. some pastors wives love being pastors wives and sitting in a particular mm. pew with mm -hmm. their mm -hmm. children or friends mm -hmm. or whatever others find that very very yeah. difficult and to be prepared to be flexible and not assume mm. that we know what these roles are going to be like yeah. and particularly to guard the time together and the days off and yeah. so on which i haven't always been good at doing myself yeah. but i've tried so there's lots of advice yeah, like uh, that yeah absolutely i and, want to and say I'm, go for it yeah hope it's working out yeah, well yeah. yeah and and from my perspective with far less years under my belt of married life but it is. It is about learning to sacrifice for the other person. Yeah. Marriage is a constant yeah. Um, yeah. battle of putting down your own wants for the yeah. sake of yeah. the other person. Yeah. And yeah. that's yeah. Why, why, obviously, the marriage of Jesus and the church is, 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 is cast in that way. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah. a yeah. self-sacrificial yeah. thing. Uh, which sounds great in theory, but is very difficult in practice. It is often. difficult in practice. And, and I mean, one of the things which I've written a lot about over the last 20 years is the faithfulness of God, Paul mm. and the faithfulness of God. And somebody um, produced a book of essays about my book, and it's called God and the Faithfulness of Paul. And as I look at those titles, I think, yes, faithfulness, reliability, trustworthiness, um, it bounces back at all of us. Mm. Um, 
And if we think faithfulness in this moment and to this person and for this is mm-hmm. difficult, imagine what it's like for God being faithful to us. You know, yeah. We mess up so often and so badly, and yet God remains faithful. Yeah. That's what we're called to be. Well, one of the best bits of advice I ever had, actually, was, was the, the, um, the person who preached at our wedding was the chaplain of my wife's college at Oxford, um, mm. Trevor Williams. At oh, the yes, time. yes, in Trinity. Um, yes, yes. The Trinity. And uh, he said... Whatever you do, let God be God in your marriage. Don't make mm. the other person mm. God. Mm. The greatest mistake people make is treating the other people as though they're going to be the answer to their problems. Interesting. You're never the answer. Yeah, the yeah, other person. Yeah. Let God be God yes, and yes, you be yes. who you well, are. Well, well, yeah. well, well, it's good. Yes, there you yes. go. Dina in Switzerland asks the next perhaps obvious question, which is, well, what are your views on divorce and remarriage in Christianity? When is it allowed? And could one distinguish between God's will versus man's in terms of what he tolerates from man, given our obvious shortcomings. So where did you want to begin on this one? Yeah, I mean, the New Testament is pretty clear that divorce is pretty well normally not what God wants. And that's in in the standard passages in Mark 10 and in parallels there and in 1 Corinthians 7. And that that is a demand for faithfulness, almost doggedness, etc., etc. And it's interesting because though in the Old Testament you do get passages that say the same thing, like Malachi, God says, I hate divorce, Um, where there it was a question of um, Jews who'd got married young and now back in the land after the uh, geographical exile, there were all these other people around and some of them were a bit bored with their present wives and so why not? And Malachi says, no, absolutely not. Stay faithful to the wife of your youth. But in the Old Testament, there's all sorts of shenanigans going on about marriage and Mm. and stuff and Mm. polygamy and so on. Mm. But in the New Testament, part of the point of the gospel is that we are supposed to be in some way or other people of the new creation. And that means, as Jesus strongly emphasizes, and as Paul strongly emphasizes, one man, one woman for life. That 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 is basic. Now, the permissions that are then given, which are permissions rather than commands, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, and then again in Matthew 19, it's in the case of unchastity, presumably adultery mm. or some other sexual misbehavior of whatever it is, that then if adultery has taken place, that doesn't mean you have to divorce, but it means that already within the community Jesus envisages and that Matthew is instantiating, this is a possibility. Interestingly, in those passages in Matthew <clears throat> There are lots – we were talking in an earlier podcast about textual variations. Mm. There are lots of textual variations in the manuscript tradition, and it's as though the early church transcribing this stuff was <laughs> struggling with w- it was aware that this, yeah. this was a yeah. really difficult yeah. thing. Yeah. But it seems to me um, when the, – the crucial thing is that the Pharisees say to Jesus – well, so why then did Moses give us this thing about divorce? And Jesus mm. says, because of the hardness of your hearts. Mm. But from the beginning, it was not. That's a really tough saying. Yeah. Because what that means is that Jesus is claiming to offer a cure for the hardness of heart. Mm. Now, as a pastor and as somebody who's been married nearly half a century, mm. I know that hearts do not just get softened automatically yeah. overnight. It's something that has to be worked at, prayed at, struggled with, wept over, etc. The other permission which is given in 1 Corinthians 7 is if a Christian and a non-Christian are married and the non-Christian really doesn't want this anymore, perhaps in Corinth because 
uh, I'm a citizen of Corinth. We have these gods in our house and we have these gods down the street and we as a family are just going to do this stuff. And the Christian just says, well, this is going to be really hard. And the non-Christian says, well, in that case, I'm out of this. Mm. Um, Paul says, in that case, you are not bound. You are not Mm. stuck in that. I assume that in both those cases, divorce because of unchastity and divorce because of um, Christian and non-Christian, this includes remarriage. Otherwise, right. it isn't. It seems to me it isn't divorce if okay. that isn't included. Right. It's it's mere separation. Um, but but so that's the principle. But yeah. working that out in yeah. practice, I know, is tough. It's inevitably going to have to be a short answer to what is a huge area. But I hope it's helped in some way, Dina. Um, Another one, this is another tricky ethical question. Um, Madeline in Atlanta wants to ask about contraception. Mm -hmm. Um, She says, um, should Christians use contraception other than natural family planning in married sex? And is sex only for the purpose of procreation? Uh, Are there any ethical differences between types of contraception? Now, I'm not expecting you to be here as a Mm -hmm. biological expert or anything, Tom, but... (laughs) Um, obviously feels that this is something you might be able to help at least from a, a biblical kind of perspective yeah. as to w- whether there is anything yeah. there's, per- there's pertinent not, to this issue. There's not much in the Bible about the sort of things that we know today about the use of, of medications or, 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 or physical aids um, because that's just not what was available yeah. in the ancient world. Um, it does seem to me that in Genesis, in the Song of Songs, and in various sense of the New Testament, there is the mutual delight of the couple, which is absolutely central. And what little I think we know in terms of um, psychobiology, as it were, um, the act of sexual intercourse actually does, as we used to say, maybe not so often, make love. It can mm. actually generate physical reactions which are loving towards this mm. it's almost mm. like those moments in a Shakespeare play where someone sprinkles, sprinkles fairy yes, dust yes. first person they see when they yeah. wake up etc I think that, that that is a reflection of something which is really true and that holds the marriage together and that's true whatever forms of contraception etc mm. being used seems to be sometimes contraception can be used selfishly we're just so enjoying being together mm. we're not going to have any of those stupid mm. little brats running mm. around being smelly um, uh, it seems to me In the present state of the world, it's unwise, possibly even disobedient to God's command to be stewards of creation, that we all have limitless numbers of children. You know, my grandfather was one of 15, of whom 13 survived to adulthood. Mm. People had vast families because in the late 19th century, whooping cough could carry them all off overnight. Mm. Um, And so they wanted there to be some children left. Um, we now. What, what's your response then to perhaps some of our Catholic listeners? And I know we have yeah, a number yeah. who might feel that actually there is a, a you know, an injunction on us to always yeah. make at least it possible for yes, that act to, yes, to result yes. in. in I, I, I think that's an overliteralization, like okay. some other bits of, of of teaching in my church as well, which have sort of rather homed in on one thing. And the idea within Roman Catholicism of the natural rhythm method, actually, when you talk to people who've tried to practice that, is anything but natural. It's all about <laughs> thermometers and calendars yes, yeah, and charts yes. and so on. And it's, it's highly unromantic. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I want to say we need to lighten up about this. But in terms of rejecting the selfishness of sex is just for my pleasure and I don't want to have any children, then we must reject that. Yes, and Um, and I I suppose to some extent the sexual revolution did effectively divorce the sexual act from procreation. And regardless of the specifics of contraception, there's a sense in which 
it's become something different to what it perhaps yes, always yes. was considered to yes, be. Yes, absolutely. And and that's something we have to navigate very carefully because mm. like a lot of other medical innovations, um, that there was a great blessing in um, this poor woman who was expected to have another child every year whether right. she wanted one or not yeah. until she finally died at age 50 yeah. of sheer exhaustion. Um, and I, I want to stand with those women who say, thank goodness we aren't yeah. bound to that anymore. Yeah. Um, Kendra in Tampa, Florida, and this will be our final question for this session, has a very, again, pastoral practical question. Um, and again, caveat supply, Kendra, that you, mm-hmm. we obviously want you to seek out good pastoral advice um, specifically. But, but here's the story. It says, I'm a 38-year-old Christian woman in a relationship with a wonderful man, and we want to get married, but he's not yet a believer. He attends church with me, and though not opposed to my faith, he doesn't believe it for himself. When we first met, I told him I would not marry someone who didn't share my commitment to Jesus, but I now question if marrying an unbeliever would be disobedient to the Lord or not. When I discuss this with other believers from the Baptist church I attend, they always bring up 2 Corinthians 6.14 about not being unequally yoked. But is this the one passage really about marriage? And does it or any other scripture mean that marriage to an unbeliever is sinful? I'm well aware that marrying an unbeliever will inevitably create greater strain and hardship on the marriage. But God leads us down difficult roads all the time. (laughs) I want to know if God instructs directly against marrying an unbeliever or if this is one of those decisions left up to us to work out with him on a case-by-case basis. Wow. Yeah, my heart goes out to somebody in that situation who's obviously of a certain age and maybe thinking, you know, biological clock ticking and all of that. The first thing I think I really do want to say is that marriage in the 21st century in the Western world is tough. Anything that makes it tougher is going to be hard and it really is going to be hard and and this isn't just a matter of oh we love each other so much it'll work out you know that there are there are big difficulties here and marriage between two devout christians is hard um and and the fact that you pray together you go to church together um and you read the bible together doesn't mean that it isn't hard mm. and if you don't have that then that that's tough and the casualty rate is high now in the New Testament, it isn't just 2 Corinthians 6. It's also that very interesting little flicker in 1 Corinthians 7 when Paul says that somebody whose uh, first husband has died is free to marry again. Mm. And then he says, only in the Lord. Right. And it's rather like the Jewish endogamy, which is to say you marry in, you marry in the Jewish world. So Paul sees the Christian family as a family and that you marry in the family. Now, so that's Paul. However, um, and this is a curious thing, not a lot of people know this, but in the early church on to the second and third century, one of the reasons that Christianity spread was that there were more Christian women around than there were pagan women Mm. for the very simple but sad reason that pagans, if they'd had one daughter already, would get rid of any other ones. They'd throw them to the wolves, quite literally, Mm. or they would sell them into slavery or whatever. So there weren't that many non-Christian women comparatively with non-Christian men. So many non-Christian men married Christian women and either converted themselves or at least let the wife bring the kids up as Mm. Christians so that that's one of the reasons why by the time of Constantine, even though the church had been persecuted, there were more and more Christians, right. and eventually Constantine says, yes. "Okay, you guys win." Now that's ambiguous, but <laughs> but the, the, so it, it's clear that if the church at that point had said, "No, no, no, we're not marrying non-Christians," that wouldn't have happened. Mm. Um, but I think 
wisdom suggests that the putative husband there, the possible husband there, goes with you, questioner, to see your pastor, to talk through this, and to figure out if there are any things mm. that can be explained about the faith, and, mm. and why not, if he loves mm. her, why yeah. doesn't he want yeah. to explore yeah. that? And, you know, there are, there are big questions to be asked there. Big questions. Obviously, questions that Kendra fully anticipates, and sure. from just from reading her, her brief question here, I can see that she's she's not going into this blind no no, um, no quite quite but, but obviously pastoral support and help is yeah. absolutely of the essence but there is on a purely practical level it's 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 difficult i mean the average church here in the uk is probably splits to about two-thirds women yes one yes, third men. Yes, and, yes and there is that simple mathematical fact that sure. there aren't enough christian men sure, to go sure, around sure, and, sure. and so it's going to be in that sense much harder on on average christian women to yes, find yes christian partners yes, yes. Um, and i can understand why this becomes such yeah. a Yep. pressing problem no it, uh, it, it has it has been and is but i think um if the husband thinks this is simply a hobby that my wife has mm. then sorry this isn't just a hobby right. this is something yeah. that affects yeah. everything yeah. i hope that's been helpful in some way kendra um there are never easy answers no, to these really you know practical pastoral questions but uh, do appreciate you getting in touch and all the others who've got in touch with their questions on marriage this edition we cover all kinds of things don't we tom on this podcast uh, car mechanics next week no um we'll um, Best of luck with that <laughs> we'll leave it there for for this week's episode um great to have you on the thank show you. thank again. you very much uh, and whether you are married or not i hope that it's been a blessing to you and we'll see you next time thank you 